why stay positive. Um, I don't know when it started, but I know where it led me to. I, I, I can't name the, the time it began, but I can tell you where I've been in process. It started some time ago, but I, I woke up one morning and I just didn't have energy. I, I didn't have that drive I normally have. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Those of y'all that have been through this, you've been there. Where you wake up and you just don't have it. And so you try and compensate. You, you drink more caffeine or you um, hit the gym extra hard. But whatever it is, you're trying anything to kind of create whatever it is. And then you start to notice as time goes on, you have less and less of it. And, and that's where I found myself. And, and I don't know where it began, but I do know that in the middle of it, I was miserable. And as a Christian, as a pastor, I can just tell you that I didn't want to be there for very long. I don't know if any of y'all have gone through this, but we call this term depression. It's that season where you just don't want to get up anymore, and you don't have that drive anymore. You don't, you don't have it anymore. And as a pastor, as a Christian, I, I did everything I could in that season to get through. I mean, I went back to the things I knew I should do, and we'll actually end with some of those steps today. But I, I was going through all of the motions. I was going through all the steps. And in fact, if we're being honest, during that season, y'all would come to me and say, that was the best sermon I've ever heard, Kyle. And inside I was going, do I even have it anymore? It's funny how the enemy wants to use us up. Uh, we get in Scripture that it says that he has some tactics. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. And I believe this with all of my heart. Let's pray for the middle. Let's pray that he doesn't steal anything from us. Let's pray he doesn't destroy our testimony. Let's pray this. If he can't do anything else, he's got to take our lives. Remember what Scripture says? The Lord says this, don't be afraid of of the enemy. Be afraid of the one that gives life. You know, I think as Christians, we tend to fall into these times, and I know I've been there. And, and really, if, if we're going to be completely honest, the reason this series is big in my mind right now is it's where I'm coming out of. I'm coming out of a season of depression. It's, it's, it's been so strange. It, it's I can just tell you from behind the scenes of church world, we have never seen God's hand move like he's doing right now at the church, ever. God is doing things that just, that we pray about and they show up and God's done it. God is doing something so incredible and in the midst of it, I haven't been rejoicing. Y'all get this because we all have this face. It's the church face. It's the one that you have at the front of the door um, when somebody greets you and they open the door and they go, how are you today? And you go, I'm great. And you take five steps and that mask drops off. Maybe this morning that mask dropped off for you when you went to go get coffee in the foyer and realized there wasn't any. So your mask dropped quickly. And you're like, listen, the only way to keep this mask is to caffeinate it. I got to fill this mask up so I can carry it into life group and into church. You better get with the story. Uh, how about this one? 
We made today as uncomfortable as we could. You don't even get it yet. As you came in today, what were the kids doing in the sanctuary? They were playing. Any of y'all grow up, in, and I love this because a dear brother of mine in the church said it, and I, I'm with him um, completely. When he said it inside, I was trying to be, you know, I was laughing, and outside I was trying to be pastor, but I was like, oh, relax, it's okay. But inside, we all grew up with those parents, didn't we? That what didn't you do in the sanctuary? You didn't play. You know why? Because the sanctuary is a place where no fun is to be had. You come in this place, and it's God's place, and he doesn't laugh. You sit in here, and you get serious. You sit on your hands, and you certainly don't hit around yellow beach balls. That's not in Revelation either. We get it, right? Like at some point, we go, when we come in here, we should not be doing anything that's different or changing but for me in the season I've been and maybe I'm identifying with you today maybe you're here and you felt that or you've come out of it and you're you've got the scars and tattoos of depressions of years gone by but you realize this that to break out you've got to change something something's got to break loose for you to have a change we call it breakthroughs let me just tell you what I call it a spiritual speed bump where God slows you down so he can change you to get you going again. You see, this season for me has been so different. I wish I could tell you right now I'm in the celebration part of that, but I'm in the healing part of it right now. I'm listening to the Lord and asking him to continuously change my heart. And what's so funny about that is this. I told the staff this in staff meeting. I've challenged myself to read a book once a month, just a whole book in addition to my Bible reading. Um, I'm at the end of Acts right now in my Bible reading this year. Um, and so I've been challenging myself to read. So I've been reading and reading and reading. And the last two months, both books I've read have dealt with pastors going through depression. Didn't even plan it that way. And I've just, man, the Lord's been pouring into me. And what's so funny is I, I, I go to the state meeting. I'm on the nomination committee for our state convention which is laughable, because I, I refuse to grow up. I'm going to get old, but listen, I'm going to be the crazy grandpa one day, okay? That's my pattern. That's, that's on my bucket list. Be crazy granddad. That's, that's there. And so I show up to the airport. We had just changed our cards in our office. I go to rent my rental car, and I hand them my card, and they go, sir, we don't use that card here. And I went, awesome. So I go to the next counter. Hey, I need to rent a car. Okay, yes, sir. Let me get all your information. How are you going to pay for it? Sir, we don't use that card. Four counters. One after another. I had to stand in line for each of them. By the fourth counter, I was not evangelistic. I, I just, at that point, I was like, this card better work. So I walk up, and the guy goes, I was like, of course. So then I do what every person does I went uber I'm gonna take uber so I log in I do all the stuff for uber because I don't have an account and I I put in my card and I go to rent the uber nope they don't use that card either at this point I I call Craig up and I'm like Craig I'm in the airport in Dallas I can't get out <laughs> he's like oh man what, what can I do for you and I'm like <laughs> drive to Dallas um and, and so then I go, I'm going to try Lyft. I didn't even know Lyft existed. So I log into there, and they let me use my card. 
And it was like, oh, right? And so my, my Lyft driver shows up, and I get in his back seat, which is always strange. Any of y'all done Uber or Lyft yet? That is the craziest thing ever, right? Like, you don't know these people. Like, you don't know if they're really going to take you to your destination. Like, I, I thought for a minute, I'm going to be on a dateline one day. Guy picked up at DFW Airport, never seen again. So I get in the back, and I sit down, and this guy who's driving me, he does this number. And I get in, and he turns, and he's on the phone speaking a foreign language to somebody else. I'm sitting in the back seat going, this is it. I, th- I don't, he's saying something like I got him in the back seat. And I thought, oh, this is going to be it. And then he ends his call, and he turns around, and he goes, hello. And I was like, oh, hi. And his phone rings again. He answers another call. I was like, oh, no. This is the second accomplice. Hey, did you get the date set up? Okay, meet us there. And as he's talking, some words start to come out like, I'm sorry, and I'll be there. And I was like, hmm. He hangs up, and he goes, I'm sorry. That's my family. Um, they need help. And that's why I drive this in addition to my two other jobs. I'm just, I'm going to take care of my family. And so I found out that he had moved to the U.S. He's on a visa. And that's the only thing he wakes for every day is to help his family. And so I got to sit in the backseat of his lift. And as we're driving close to the hotel, I prayed for him out loud. And he goes, thank you, my friend. And I get out and I tip him big. And I go into my hotel. The next morning, I put on lift again. Hey, I need to get to the state office. And this woman pulls up. And I'm like, hey, are you? She's like, no. I was like, oh, that seemed really awkward. Um, <laughs> man, I'm so glad I didn't get in her car. You know how awkward that have been? Like this lady's like, can I help you? And you're like, take it away, you know? So the next car pulls up, same exact model. That's why I thought it was, it was her. And I get in the back seat, and this lady tells me that she's been an HR agent for 25 years, was laid off three years ago. Her dad lived with she and her husband, who she married 10 years ago, and her dad passed away a few months ago. She's been trying to find a job, and she's overly qualified, is what they tell her, or too old. And she said, this is all I can do right now to earn some money. And I said, can I pray for you? And I thought she was going to pull off the road like, it, like the car went like this. And she goes, please. And so I prayed for Laura right there in the car and just said, God, would you provide a job that Laura needs? And as we pulled in the state office, I said, Laura, what if God has pushed you away from the wrong jobs for the sake of the right one? And she goes, I'm going to start praying that way. You see, I could have got a car, and believe it or not, I really believe this. I believe Craig's going to call this week, and then we're going to find out that car does work. But it was not God's plan for me. You see, when we allow the enemy to steal from us, we become very small. And the number one thing I wanted to do as I went to Dallas was to be in my own car, in my own hotel room, and not to mess with anybody else. I wanted to be in solitude, and God went, huh, let me show you what can happen when I step in. And because of that, two people changed my life this weekend. Paul, in the middle of his journey, is going from city to city led by God. 
And the Holy Spirit speaks over Paul and he tells him to go to this city that is fantastic. This, this town is called Ephesus and there wasn't a lot like Ephesus at the time. You see at Ephesus things were moving and shaking. The population of people had moved into that area. Ephesus was hopping. It was a, a place where people could see things happen. You remember the stories of 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 the Roman Empire and how they would let beasts fight each other or man versus beast. That happened in Ephesus. Ephesus was known to the known world as a place to go to. They had this massive place of worship to this goddess named Diana. And they would flock in worship of her. And, And so when Paul shows up in Ephesus, he starts preaching the gospel that Jesus is the only way. And those people that made stuff for this temple, they complain. They're like, listen, if this guy keeps teaching, he's going to ruin our livelihood. we got to get this guy out. So if you just imagine this early church who is hearing Jesus talk and, and believing in his way, and then all this outside pressure happening of the Roman Empire and their gods, of, of cultural relativism, of everybody wanting to flock together and be known. Paul shows up at this pivotal point in time, and he tells the people, don't forget the gospel. It's powerful. Can you imagine what it was like to be a Christian in Ephesus for a minute? Knowing full and well that down the road is a, a place where Christians would be tortured and killed by animals. Like, it is mesmerizing to me that this is where Paul shows up, and he doesn't stay very long. But here's why Ephesus is important. Paul writes a letter to Ephesus. And he encourages them in the faith. And what's more is they survive that time. And what's more is in Revelation, they're mentioned again. Now we know that Ephesus got wiped off the map. We don't know if the church survived that wiping off or not. We just know this. That today we're going to start with their first and end with their last. Then over the next several weeks, we're going to talk through Ephesus for a little bit. We're going to talk through what Paul was really saying to the church and how he is trying to help them stay positive amongst a negative world. Because you're like Ephesus and I'm like Ephesus. No matter how deep we feel in Christ, we have an enemy that always wants to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And because of that, we must be on guard. We have to set ourselves up for something different. So let's just look. I want to give you a little bit of text this morning from uh, from Acts 19 through 20. It's not going to be on the board. I just want you to know these are where these first few things are going to come from. This is what Ephesus was set up like. The first is this. The early followers followers followed John and not Jesus. We see this in the text that they're saying, oh, we, we were baptized by John's baptism. And Paul tells them, listen, Jesus' baptism is so much more because you, you get something from it. John's baptism ends with death of John. Jesus' baptism lasts for eternity. And so they're baptized in the name of Jesus and not in the name of John. And something takes place that people are changed. Here's the next. People had tried to access the power of Jesus and failed. There's a demonic there and And it says that this man shows up and he tries to heal this man of his demon possession. And the demon whips his tail. Listen, I believe that there's a truth in this for us today. That we cannot be people that claim Jesus but not live in him. 
Because the enemy that's after us was the same enemy in Acts. And he does not like people very much. I believe this, that Satan is an equal opportunity killer. He hates Christians and he hates non-Christians. You know why? We're all made in the image of what? Of God. And because of that, he doesn't like you. He likes nothing of the nature of God. And because of that, he wants to still kill and destroy everybody. Because of that, we must be on guard. It should break our hearts that our neighbors don't know Jesus. Because if they don't know him, man, they're being killed daily. The next worship of other gods was common practice. It was common practice that in Paul's day, people worshiped other gods. You got to kind of see it through the scope of what really the Roman Empire looked like. Those of us that grew up in school had to study people like Zeus and Athena, Hermes. These all had their roots in this Roman culture. There were whole temples devoted to them. And so as Paul is preaching, he is standing in the shadows of these temples. And so you, you got to feel this pressure that the church of Ephesus felt. They couldn't get Jesus quite right. They couldn't quite get that, that what was happening was a challenge. And this is the next. Any movement toward Jesus seemed like it was damaging to the culture. If, if you came to know Christ and your brother didn't, it would cost you. It would cost you dearly. And as Paul leaves Ephesus, he, he gives the, with a warning. And the warning is this, stick to the gospel. Stick to the gospel. Don't get lost in all the other stuff. Stick to the gospel. It is the saving power. I don't know about you, but when I look at Ephesus and I see their troubles and I see their struggles, it kind of feels like modern day, doesn't it? You see, we have a culture that is searching for foreign gods. They're yearning for something greater, and so they pursue anything in their, in their path. It, it is a free-for-all of faith. The only thing they will not accept is a Jesus who has followers that look so poorly at what they're doing. When you go to a foreign nation and you see followers of Christ, people are drawn to them. They're drawn to them. Brother Jimmy Phillips can tell you this, that when he goes overseas and preaches... Hundreds of people come to know Christ every time he preaches. And it's not because of Jimmy, even though he is a fantastic preacher. It's because the power of Christ is so prevalent, because the followers of Christ are so present. And when the power of Christ is prevalent in followers that are present, the gospel grows enriched. But when those of us in Christ don't show up, and we're not showing the world what it looks like to live like Jesus. They're never drawn to him because they see us first. We are certainly not the gatekeeper of eternal salvation. But man, we're lousy billboards sometimes. I just believe with all of my heart that Paul is calling on the church at Ephesus. And he's saying, don't get lost in the stuff. Stay on track with God. Look into Jesus' nature. Adopt this. And then Paul leaves. You know, he shows up about 52 AD, is what scholars believe. Sometime after that, Paul's arrested for his faith. We don't know quite where the book of Ephesus was written, if it was in 
a Roman prisoner as house imprisonment, but we know that he's in chains. And he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he reminds them time and time again, don't lose sight of what it's really about. He challenges them. He equips them. He motivates them. I was watching this series on Netflix of these three high school senior quarterbacks, all of which are in in college now. And I watched their coaches as they were getting them fired up, and it it brought something back in me. Those of y'all that sat around football coaches in locker rooms, and and you got all set down, and and the coach right before you ran out on the field would start kind of like this. Men, there's a battlefield out there. And there's going to be two sides to this battle. And I'm going to ask you today, boys, will you fight? And we go, yeah. He goes, I can't hear you. Will you fight? And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd say that if you'll fight, I want you to stand up. And we'd stand. And we're, okay, yeah. He said, put your helmets on, boys. And we put our helmets on. And our coach would say, high five one another. And that wasn't like Grant's high fives here. You high-fived with your face. Whack, whack, right? Occasionally you weren't looking, somebody just boom. It's all part of the experience. And then he'd say this, if you will fight, you can leave this locker room. If not, leave your jersey here. And all of us would go, no, I'm taking my jersey with me. And then he'd open the door and we'd run out. You remember this? It fired you up. It equipped you. You were ready. And that's the book of Ephesians. Is that coach standing in the locker room with the church and saying, are you ready? Because there's a battlefield out there. And that battlefield is waiting for people that will fight. You know what my coach never said in the locker room? Let's go out there and lose. Let's go out there and just get really messed up and gnarly. He never said, let's go out there and break a leg. Because that would have been really bad. He always said, let's go win. And when Paul writes Ephesians, he tells them that. And we'll get to that over the next few weeks. But I want to take you to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, starting with the first verse. Paul gives this writing. He says to the angel, many believe this is to the church leader. And it says this. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, and these are the churches, I know your works, your labor and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you have found them to be liars. You also possess an endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolosians, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. He tells them this. Don't stop Yet, y'all have all this put together. So what happened to the church at Ephesus? What happened to them? What, what, what occurred that led them to this place? 
as we get John's writing, he's at the end of the spectrum. And he's writing to these churches and he's trying to equip them one more time. He's trying to get them to endure. And he says these things to them. You have endured. You, you're doing this stuff. You're getting after it. This church faced persecution and endured. Right down the road, people are dying for their faith. And this church kept doing stuff together. I, I just don't know if this would be us. I don't know if in American culture, if tomorrow uh, Congress changed the law and they said, no churches. Anybody shows up at churches is dead. If any church would have a crowd, I want to say this. I believe that we would. I believe that you would still show. And if you'll show up on a Sunday, we've got to show up on our Mondays. We've got to show up at our schools, in our workplaces. We've got to show up with our neighbors. We have to show up because the world is waiting to see, does anybody really believe that Jesus is who he says he was? And listen, I feel this with the deepest part of me. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that when my world shifts and when it turns, that I show up with Jesus. And listen, Jesus puts me in really weird situations like lifts. Just so that I would show up when I didn't want to. I just wanted to be to myself and God goes, no, no, no. I'm always with you. And I'm going to put you in the situation I want you to be in. So just buckle up. I didn't get in that lift car wanting to say a word. But God did. God wanted to show up in Dallas. And he wanted to show up in the lives of these people driving these cars. And you know what? Praise God that he allowed me to speak when I didn't have the words to share it. I, I'm not going to stand up here and say, yeah, you're a pastor of the super Christian. I did work. Because, man, I showed up not wanting to do nothing. I remember getting on the flight to Dallas, and I, it, it's a crowded flight. And I, I sat down, and I'm, I'm on the row side, and this lady gets in and sits next to me, and, and she put her headphones on, which in my world at that point was like, thank you, Lord. I don't have to say anything. I put my headphones in. I had my book out. And the guy across the row nudges me, and he goes, you're that preacher on TV, aren't you? And I was like, <sighs> I wanted to be like, I am not Joel Olstein. I wanted to say that. I didn't. I was like, yeah, I'm on TV. He goes, listen to you every Sunday. And I was like, <laughs> thank you, brother. It's the pastor, Pat. It's like, oh. Maybe you haven't been where I'm at or where I'm coming out of. But isn't God funny that he, he wants to heal us more than we want healing? And in Ephesus, these people were doing the work, and they didn't even realize that this man that showed up, showed up to give them the strength to keep going. And God's going to do that for you. I believe this. He's doing it for me. He's going to do it for you. But here's the thing. They challenged anything, this church in Ephesus, that wasn't the gospel. They challenged it. They went, hey, listen, I'm not just going to buy whatever comes across. I'm going to test it against truth. And if it's not truth, it's not allowed in my heart. And they did an inventory constantly of their hearts. And I believe this is where I've had to come from in this season. I had to do real inventory of my heart to say, what do I believe is truth and what is God saying to me? And do they line up? And they were doing that. 
and endurance and testing was happening. And then the words come out in Revelation. He says, you've done all these things. You possess an endurance. You have not tolerated many things, but in my name you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, verse 4 says. You have abandoned the love you had at first. They had lost their passion. And I don't know if that's you today. I don't know if, if in your walk with Christ you've just lost a passion for him. I know through this season for me, as I've kept reading scripture, as I've kept praying deeply, as I've talked to mentors, it, it finally changed for me when I was willing to say the words. I, I keep a journal. It's a practice that I learned that our forefathers in history did, Winston Churchill, um, so many others, you know, just kept a journal every day. And so I started keeping a journal, and every day in my journal, it would be like, I learned this today, I feel alone. The next day, God, you just did something amazing in our staff. You're, you're leading us towards new vision. I feel isolated. It just was every day. And it wasn't like I was just out there saying, I, wanna, I want people to know I'm alone. This is my journal, and it's all I could write down. And it wasn't like in the staff, I didn't, no one talked to me. It wasn't like I went home and my wife wasn't there. Those were all there. But see, the enemy was constantly trying to steal from me. And I was letting him do it. And finally, I have a mentor who said, who have you told? Who have you told that at this point you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel depressed? And I was like, who do I tell? He said, everybody. I was like, <laughs> I mean, a pastor can't be depressed. He can't be alone. He's, he's got to be like MVP, MVP. And so uh, we have a counselor here on staff who, who comes in our office and offices out of here a couple of times a week. And we were checking a part of our building, and I said, I, I need to talk to you. And he, he, he is fantastic. He did this. Okay, sit down. And I was like, oh, no, I wanted to schedule a meeting. I wanted to prepare myself, drink some Gatorade or something before I started. And I sat down, and he goes, go ahead. And I, I couldn't even stop the words coming out of my mouth. I was just like, man, I, I feel alone. I feel depressed. Carried a lot of weight. I feel like so many things that haven't occurred right in the life of our church are just so my fault. And I, I want to be great at what I do. And I just, I'm struggling. I feel inefficient. I feel weak. And he goes, huh. I wanted him to be like, well, let me take you through the five steps of clarity. He just looked at me and he pointed his finger and he said, are you carrying that or are you giving it to the Lord? And I was like, oh. Walked out of our meeting and I walked down the hall here at the church. As I was walking, I, I was praying a prayer. I was just like, Lord, you're going to have to change me because the cow part of me wants to be in charge. I mean, I want you to walk in this building, and the moment the door opens, I, I want, like, worship to start the moment you step in. Like, I, I want you to be like, oh, right? 
As you leave out, I want you to be like, you've got to go to church with me because I like floated into life group today. It was that thick. I mean, I was like swimming in Jesus, right? I want that for you. But I realize this. I can't do that for you because I'm not the Lord. And part of my healing is realizing this. I want for you so much of Jesus, but I'm not him. You've got to want it. You've got to want it. And I, I've struggled with that because I desire God to move so much in your life such that the enemy has tried to destroy mine. And I'm not going to let him. Just not going to let him. And neither should you. So how do we overcome? I'll go fast. We need to remember, we need to practice, and we need to live. We need to remember this. We need to remember the riches of the gospel. It's worthy and it's rich and it changes us, and without it we are nothing. How do you make it out of that deep place and how do you get to a place of joy? Through the gospel. It changes us. It equips us. It makes us. And it helps us. It's not just something you encounter once in your life. That's salvation. It's also the lordship of God over your life. The gospel changes you daily. And if it's not, you need to go back to it. You need to go back to it. The next, we need to put into practice the spiritual disciplines. This is something that's really helped me get through it. You should be spending time in the Word. You should be spending time in prayer. You should have accountability. And no one's going to give that to you. I, as your pastor, can't give that to you. I can put you with people that really, really will mess you up. (laughs) Or you can find it. You can search for it. You can hunger for it. You need people in your life that know your story. And let me tell you, from my standpoint, it's vulnerable. To share my story with anybody in the church, people have to know that their pastor is jacked up. And it's why I can stand here today and tell you where I've come from. Because the enemy can't steal what's guarded by God. And God's people will help. He puts them in place for a reason. Those of y'all that call Quell Creek home, you you said, I'm a member of that church. You're not signing up for a gym. You're marrying into a family. And this family should be your family. But the only way that's going to happen is this. You start to show you're vulnerable with them. You come into this place broken. You come into this place to worship. You come into this place open-handed. Bob Goff says it like this. When he goes to trial, he always asks the person that he's talking to and interviewing during the trial to sit with their palms up. Because there's something scientific about the fact that you can't lie very well with your palms up. And that's where we need to be today before God. Palms up. God, I'm not holding on to anything. And in my brokenness, I know where I'm at, but so do you. And you know how to heal my brokenness. You know how to make me alive. The next is this. We need to live. We need to live the calling that God has given you. You are so unique. God made you unlike any other person on the planet. You are brilliantly made by God. You're his craftsmanship. And because of that, no one's like you. No one has your story. No one has your credentials. No one has your background or your storyline. And here's the beauty of it. He loves your story. He just wants to be a part of it. He wants to change it with who he is. And so you got to live 
You have to live your calling. You got to show up. There was this pastor in Ohio. He was a daredevil. He's the kind of guy that went skydiving a lot, cliff jumping. And so one day after service, he found one of the doctors, a surgeon in his, in his congregation. And he said, here's the deal, buddy. I want to see an open heart surgery. And the doctor just laughed and off he went. But he kept on. Every time he saw him, hey, I haven't forgotten about that open heart surgery. Make it happen, buddy. Finally, one day, this surgeon comes to him. He says, hey, next week, I got permission from the patient that you can come in and be a part of an open heart surgery. You need to come by the hospital. You'll need to sign some stuff. We'll need to show you how to scrub in. Um, so make it happen. The doctor was thrilled that the, the pastor was so excited. And so day comes, pastor scrubs in next to the surgeons and the nurses. He's just pumped. Gets this robe on, you know, gloves. He feels like he's somebody he's never been. He walks in and he stands like a doctor. Sorry, doctors, I, I apologize. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then they will in the patient. Any of y'all that have seen heart surgery, you know how it goes. They, they break open the chest and they pull the heart out. And they begin to work on, operate on the heart. The doctors had finished and the heart was perfectly fine and ready to go, but it didn't want to beat. And so the doctor did everything he could. He, you know, they did all the shocks. They, they put everything in motion. They checked blood flow issues and everything was good except this heart would not beat pastor standing back in shock he's like i'm gonna watch this woman die the surgeon scooted to where the anesthesiologist is at the head and he leaned down and he just said mrs johnson this is your surgeon i've done everything to fix your heart it is perfectly good but it is not beating and you've got to tell your heart to beat again. And it did. I believe this with all of my heart. God wants your heart to beat again. Amen. But you need to say it today to him. That's what I had to do. You see, I went to the hotel room in Dallas, and I was alone in my hotel room, and I had just finished eating. I called my wife and said goodnight, and I was sitting in this recliner, which is always a bad problem in a hotel room. I don't know why I did that, but I'm sitting there. And I said, Lord, I don't, I want my heart to beat again. I want to live for you deeply again. And, and I, I can count on one hand how many times I've heard God say something to me or, or push me in a direction. But that day he, he simply said this, okay. And for as long as I've been dealing with this, I haven't had that moment where my face agrees with my heart. But in a hotel room in Dallas, y'all bear with me, I took a shower, but I got down on the floor of a hotel room. I just cried out to God. I said, you're going to have to do it. I believe that today, someone in this room is like me. And we're climbing out together. And you may feel like you're cynical. You may feel inefficient or ill-equipped. You may feel like no one cares for you or loves you. Or that you're just solely alone. Which is all a lie. Today, today is the day to tell God, I want my heart to beat again. 
And if that's you, let me tell you what you don't need to do. You don't have to tell me anything. I'm a guy just like you. You need to tell God that. And maybe today is your day to lay down here on the carpet or wherever you are and just cry out to God and say, that's what I want in my life, God. Equip me again. The world needs to see Jesus, and I want them to see him in me. And so to make that happen, you're going to have to tell my heart to beat again. Is that you today? Are you saying, I want that over my life? And if that is you, today is the day to let the Lord in, in a heart that is telling him to stay clear. There is no isolation in the Christian walk. You cannot do this alone. You always have him. So today is your day. Break free today. Tell the enemy he's got to go somewhere else because you are not open for business anymore for him. You are the Lord's. You are his. So if that is you, and today you need Jesus to change your life, I want to pray for you like I believe the Lord is praying over me right now. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Close your eyes right where you are. I'm going to promise you this. Here in a minute, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or anything. I'm not going to embarrass you. I believe following Jesus is a passionate pursuit, and those that want to pursue him will do it at all costs. I don't believe a pastor should call you to do anything. I believe the Lord's going to do that. But it's a day you're broken and you don't know him. Today is your day to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But today, if you do know him and you're broken, today is the right day to go back to him again and say, Lord, you know where I'm at. Today is the day to let my heart beat again. If that is you, are you ready? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, you know our hearts. Lord, you know exactly where we are. Lord, Scripture tells us you know when we rise up and when we lay down. And there is no place that we can go that you don't know us, that you don't have us in your view, that you don't know the the thoughts of our hearts. God, you know everything about us. And because of that, God, we count upon you. Lord, that those that are in you, we don't have to live broken. Lord, by your strength, by your counsel, God, we can make it through. Where the enemy has called us to side roads, you are starting the lights over the highway we should be on. God, you are going to make us new. You're going to show us how we can be positive in a world that wants us to fall into the negative. All these lies the enemy gives, all the entrapments, all the foreign gods, all the foreign worship, we can lay aside for the sake of Jesus. So Lord, bring us near to you. Lord, heal our hearts. Make us alive again. Let them beat again, Lord, for you. Lord, we ask that you would start that right now in me and in others in this room that can share the same story of Christians that are just isolated, that are broken. We don't have to stay there, Lord, because of you. Lord, you are powerful. You are mighty. And you desire to let us live lives that look like Jesus. And so to do that, Lord, we need you. Lord, how we need you. So, Lord, would you breathe life into us? Lord, would you equip us? Lord, would you sustain us? Lord, all those things I know you want to do. And so, Lord, cleanse us for it. Prepare our hearts for it. God, we can only do this through you. It's not based upon how great we can act or how many masks that we can pack into our bags. We want to be filled by you. And so, Lord, do that now. Lord, would you speak over us now? Would you heal us now? Let us come alive, Lord, now. Lord, we pray this in the name that is greater than anything this world can give us. The name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me?
today if you need Jesus to change your story. Maybe today you don't know him, but you want to. Today is the day to make him known in your life. You can let one of us know, or right now you can just come to the altar and kneel and say, Lord, I need you. Cry out to him. Maybe today you're like me, and you're coming out of that depression road, and and you felt that discouragement, you felt that isolation, but you're not going to stay there anymore. If that's you, come get down and kneel at this altar. Let's cry out to the Lord together. Let's believe that he can heal us. Do you believe he can heal you? I'm sorry, no one. Do you believe that he can heal you? I do too. So let's act like it right now. As we sing, let's come to the Lord. Let's let him have our everything.